Hey everybody, just a very small note before we begin this episode. Our guest Jeff has shared with us a few slides that will help you navigate through the episode. It is not mandatory at all, you can listen to the episode and still get everything, but if you want to go deeper and have a visual support, head to corporate-treasury-101.com, head to the article section and look for the one with Jeff to download the slides for free. The link is of course in the description to make it easier. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the third and last part of our full interview with Jeff Goggins, where we discuss FX risk hedging and AI in financial risk management. Jeff is a director at Kiriba, part of the advisory team and focuses on FX risk management. Kiriba's treasury management system is a well-known solution providing automated cash management, bank connectivity, liquidity planning, payments, working capital, and many other features. In the episode of today, expect to learn how to hedge against the different types of FX risk, how should companies manage their hedging strategies, what is the difference between central and local management of FX risk, how is AI impacting FX risk management, and like always, very much more. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social medias, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our ask to you. The only way the podcast can grow and for more people to learn about treasury is thanks to you. So if you enjoy what you hear, learn something, please consider following the show, leaving us a review, or and sharing this episode to help others discover it too. Also, if you're eager to explore how AI is revolutionizing our industry, be sure to join our bi-weekly newsletter, AI Treasury Insights. Check out the link in the description or head straight to corporate-treasury-101.com slash newsletter. With all that being said, please welcome Jeff Goggins. So how about we go back to, I love that you touched upon a hedge accounting. That's a whole other animal, as you call them. But maybe before that, can you explain us how those companies would hedge against all those risks? Like maybe not going into all the details of transaction risk, anticipated transaction risk, booked, and so on. But overall, how should a board and the different stakeholders we touched upon earlier should look at those risks and hedge against them? Well, at a very high level, what you're trying to do is, you know, it's at the point in time you think you have a risk and you would like to walk in to a certain value of that transaction, eliminate the foreign currency element volatility out of that transaction. At the simplest thing that you're doing is, is you're calling the bank. Most companies are using very basic forward contracts uh, where you're locking in instead of doing a spot contract where you're just converting, let's say, the currency right away, you're locking into a rate and it will have something called forward points and you're locking into a future date delivery of that contract. And so let's say you have euro revenue next month and you like the rates uh, today 
I think the euro's been doing okay lately. It's like 108, 109. You want to, you're like, okay, that's that's good. It could go up, it could get go down, but I just want to lock it in today. Um, so you call the bank. It's euro revenue. So you you would say your your long revenue, and you can call the bank and say, hey, I want to sell X amount of euros for delivery next month. And so they give you a rate and you've essentially locked that in then. So whether you take delivery of the contract, so whether you actually collect those euros and then you sell the euros to the bank, you wire the bank the euros, or you can do something at the end if you don't actually want to do that actual delivery, you can actually just kind of close out the contract at the end at the, you know, at the new market rates a month from now. So economically, what you've done though is you've put a short euro position, you know, on your books or to offset that long euro revenue. And you could do that with the Ford contracts. Uh, global companies might do that with an option contract. And, you know, sometimes you see some, some callers. A lot of times though, in the FX world for global companies, they're, they're doing pretty basic things with the instruments and, and hedging. So that's kind of the basic gist of, of all you're doing is, is working with the bank to put that offsetting position uh, on your books. And with that comes, you know, a whole slew of challenges, understanding what's going on, getting the information, getting to that point where you know what you want to tell the bank what to do, and then accounting and, and tracking everything. But that's what they're doing. I'm guessing there's not like a one size fits all solution to to each transaction, right? It's interesting you mentioned you can either not exercise that that option with the bank or choose to exercise it and, and it's different strategies later. What are like the different parameters, I guess, that change from a hedge to hedge? It's like period that you're hedging out from or how long ahead you're hedging, I guess. What else like changes between different hedging hedges itself? Well, it's a good question. Do you hedge the entire amount always, or can you also do a partial hedge because it's cheaper? Or like, I guess there's differences like this, right? Yeah, I'm trying to think of how to to go in this direction without getting insanely detailed. Go for it, but uh, don't be afraid of details. We'll have technical details here, Jeff. It's all good. So we talked about kind of when your risk starts. So that's the one variable is, you know, deciding when you're going to actually start putting the hedges on in place. Uh, but then as you said, so what are your variables for kind of how, how to end the hedging and, and things like that? And, and, and the difficult thing with answering that question is just that so many companies are doing so many things differently and, and you, you can get some different instruments involved as well. But generally speaking, um, if we're talking about hedge accounting, the one thing companies don't want to do is risk losing hedge accounting. So a lot of times they'll structure a hedge program so that you've probably heard of the term layering. So they're doing some form of layering their hedges. So if they're hedging something that's you know, eight months from now, they don't want to just jump out and hedge that 100%. Because what if the forecast changes? What if the forecast comes back a little different? So depending on the company, depending on 
you know, the reliability of whatever particular item that they're hedging and, and business flow that they're hedging, you know, they're going to decide, well, you know, maybe we'll have a program where we start off hedging 20% and three months we get a kind of a fresh forecast. We're now a little bit closer to, to that time frame where it's going to occur. We feel more comfortable. We'll add another 20% to our hedge. And then three months go by, we're even more confident now. We're going to add another 20% to our, to our hedge position. So, so companies will do certain strategies based on pretty much their comfort level with being wrong and the comfort level with the forecast. So some companies will say, you know what? We really can't even have any reliability on a monthly forecast, but we feel pretty good about our quarterly forecast. So we know that we'll have a certain amount of sales within this quarter. Not sure if it'll be next January, February, or March, but it's going to be flowing in that quarter. So you can actually kind of view yourself as hedging for the quarter. And then you have decisions to make where I could have my hedge mature at the end of the quarter, and then I can kind of unwind it as each month goes by and I kind of know what's come in. I can kind of economically unwind my hedge as I go. Or, you know, maybe you, you do something else or have it just mature in the middle of the quarter. So those are all decisions that uh, a company kind of needs to walk through when they're setting up their hedge program and figuring out how they want to actually structure, you know, all of that administrative parts of, of the hedging process. And am I right to saying you only hedge, maybe I'm saying something stupid here, you only hedge the booked risk against your booked FX risk? Because we, we talked about the different types of FX risk, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess you don't hedge your anticipated, or do you hedge the difference between anticipated and booked? Like what, which one of the risks are you hedging? Yeah, tough thing with a, Tough thing with a uh, a podcast here is I I don't have my PowerPoint slides to show you, but I like to lay that out on a timeline and okay. and so you can hedge both. Um, okay. Now with a public company, that's why they want hedge accounting because what hedge accounting does is it allows them to hedge the anticipated risk without there being this big accounting mismatch with what they have to book for the hedging contract and what they are not booking for the risk because it's an anticipated risk. It's not on your books. So with hedge accounting, basically what it allows you to do under IFRS 9 and, and US GAAP ASC 815 is what it's allowing companies to do is it's allowing them to put this derivative on their books, but they're basically allowed to, I'll call it hiding, but it's it's not hiding, it's legitimate, but it's hiding it from the P&L because it allows them to put the hedge result into something called Other Comprehensive Income, OCI, which is in equity. And so only at the end of the hedge, you do everything properly, at the end of the hedge is when you will then book the result of the hedge in the P&L. And if you were hedging revenue, then what you want to do is then, okay, my hedge result is going into revenue. So in that Japanese uh, yen example, you would be able to basically tuck away the hedge result until the very end when you had those losses because the JP on your revenue, losses on your anticipated value of your Japanese yen revenue. 
So if your Japanese yen revenue you were hoping was 500 million, it's now only worth 400 million. Well, what happens there at the end is you get to say, okay, I had a, my hedge result of 100 million positive. I can now book that into revenue and I have my revenue of 500 million. So everything works out how I want it at the end. Uh, so that's hedging the anticipated risk is a lot of companies, especially public companies will want to use hedge accounting to be able to make the accounting line up with that economic risk that they're hedging or anticipated risk that they're hedging. On the book transaction, you actually are okay with, you have a hedge, you have to mark to market that hedge, you have to book it at the fair value at the end of each month. And the whole idea is, okay, I'm okay with that hedge being booked to FX gain or loss on, on my P&L because that's going to offset if I did everything correctly, that's going to offset that revaluation of the booked risk that's also impacting the FX gain or loss in the in the opposite direction. So you want to approach those with kind of a different strategy, but you can hedge them both. Jeff, maybe, so I feel we've touched upon quite some uh, throughout this episode, but can you highlight and maybe summarize what are the biggest challenges when it comes to FX risk management and hedging and hedge accounting um, and making the link maybe with recent events and period we are, we are in, like how those high volatility periods impacts all this risk management and overall, is it the biggest challenge or are there others? What's your view on that? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll answer the second question first. So yeah, there there has been a lot of volatility um, over the past year, especially the past couple of years. A lot of people, you know, attribute to yeah the the central banks being a lot more active now. They're they're changing their rates more. There seems to be a lot more uh, fluctuations that ends up driving with with central bank interventions. It it kind of has more unexpected changes to both the currency values as well as it's been making the cost of hedging a little bit more volatile. So when I mentioned like a simple example with a forward contract of hedging, there's a component of that in the forward points that's actually based on interest rate differentials between both currencies. So as the central banks are kind of, you know, raising their interest rates up and down and there's just more action there, that's also um, just changing, you know, the way companies are seeing their cost of hedging kind of flow through. So all that volatility has really thrown a lot of companies off. Uh, even companies that have, have had hedge programs, they're seeing like all of a sudden their cost of hedging is way different and they might want to approach things differently. And the way that I think volatility impacts companies the most is really just, um, especially companies that have hedge programs. So little things that maybe were off in your hedge program. So let's say you're relying on forecasts and the forecasts have been off, but the rates haven't really moved that much. Well, if, if rates aren't moving a lot and your hedge program isn't perfect, you're not going to notice a big difference because, you know, you're not going to be getting hit hard by some small mistakes. But when volatility is high, you can you know, have smaller mistakes that actually kind of hit you hard and, and kind of come to the surface. So it really, I think, exposes a lot of issues that companies have had 
underlying to their FX risk and their hedge programs. It's really just exposing things that otherwise could have been kind of swept under the rug. So, you know, at a high level, I think that's where the volatility's surfacing is is just it's it's exposing issues that have been around for a while that companies have been able to get away with not addressing. And then the biggest challenge, I think, just in general, you know, again, we talked about FX being this kind of circular iterative learning process. There's a lot of concepts. There's a lot of differences in terminology. There's a lot of complexities with the way global companies are set up. And as a practitioner, I've worked with practitioners before who they came from one company who kind of had a certain functional currency set up or they booked transactions a certain way and kind of thought they knew what was going on. They get to a new company who is booking the transactions completely differently. They have a different functional currency set up, different type of flows. And the hedge program is completely different. The approach to it is different. So there's always a lot to learn. There's always a challenge with just knowing the landscape of what's going on. But then in addition to that, we didn't touch on it a lot, but is just then getting the information, the administrative process of getting visibility on your exposures. Uh, historically, ERP systems haven't had a lot of great direct reporting that will give you kind of those non-functional currency balances right out of the ERP. Um, but you've got to take all this information, you got to aggregate it, you got to analyze it, and then you got to make actions on it. It's a big administrative process and it's a big learning process, but uh, that's what I find really great about FX is there's just constantly something to learn. When I went from being a corporate treasury practitioner to, to the consulting side seven years ago, when I was interviewing, you know, for that consulting company, one of their concerns was, oh, you know, as an assistant treasurer, you're just wearing all these hats. You're focused on the global cash management, the debt, the FX is just one piece of it. You're even involved in insurance and like, how are you going to handle, you know, just focusing on FX? And, you know, I said, well, to be honest, I wasn't sure, <laughs> but I said, you know, I, I I think that I, I really like diving into the technical side of things. FX is actually a really big world. And that turned out to be absolutely true. Like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And, and there's just tons to learn in FX. So it's a challenge, but it makes it really interesting. No, definitely. We're definitely getting that impression. <laughs> Jeff, I don't think we'd have so much, but so much we haven't talked about. But, um, but we're, we're closing in on the end of the episode now. But thank you so much. So I feel like we've got a much better idea of um, different types of FX risk uh, and then the human element of that and the expectation and how you can set up, how different companies are set up differently in terms of where they need to report and, and how that affects their hedging strategies and how that affects what a risk is and so much more we haven't covered yet. But thank you so much for also taking us through all of that. Last question for you, Jeff, something you were starting to wrap up the episodes with. In today's world, AI is all the buzz. Treasury is not immune to that at all. What's your opinions on how AI is going to affect FX, risk, management, hedging, et cetera? Like, where do you see the biggest opportunities for AI in this space? Yeah, so, yeah, I'm sure there's just 
endless possibilities with where AI is going and how it can ha- help FX. The, the first thing that comes to mind is that forecasting piece. So exposure forecasting, whether you're, you're talking about, you know, so let's just focus more on the transactional risk on any elements of that. Certain companies need to employ certain types of forecasting potentially to understand the exposure and uh, that can be a challenge for folks. So I would imagine with similar to cash forecasting, uh, using machine learning, using uh, AI to to help that forecasting is going to be great for for FX because you know at the end of the day, you know it's, it's just like a lot of other things. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you're hedging the wrong exposure or an in- inaccurate exposure, you're you're not going to be very effective economically with your hedge program. And um, so if AI can help with that, that'll be huge. I'd imagine that AI could eventually kind of swoop in maybe on more of the execution side of things, maybe automate how companies are executing their their FX deals and um, in a way that can, you know, get them a good deal, you know, with the bank, but, but automate it for them. So right now there's decent automation with companies using multi-bank trade portals. But, you know, if that could be even streamlined further, um, all those administrative processes, um, you know, will be great for automation. Super cool. Thanks so much, Jeff. So anything else we haven't touched on in FX risk management that you'd like to just leave a quick note on to end for our listeners? No, I think, um, you know, if you're, if I guess this is Treasury 101, so everyone's learning. I'm realizing that I usually have PowerPoint slides in front of me when I'm when I'm doing like an FX training on uh, on these concepts and as a podcast, I'm a little worried that okay that was maybe a, a little a little hard to follow without without materials. But um, there are materials out there available. Um, you can look at my company's website. You know, just seek seek them out. Whether it's you know your your local treasury group or whatnot, go through them. I think it's you know. It'll help out a lot to maybe see some of these concepts laid out, some timelines laid out. But, you know, don't, especially when you start getting into hedge accounting, don't get frustrated. It's a lot of going around in circles, chasing concepts down, kind of reevaluating, you know, what you just read. So if it didn't all make sense, just stick with it. Uh, Keep keep learning and, and it'll all make sense in the end.